Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. You're listening to the Financials Edition, taped today on Monday, December 12, 2016. My name is Gabby LaPera, and joining me on the phone is Jordan Wathen, one of the Motley Fool's top business analysts. How's, how's it going, Jordan? Oh, it's going all right. I'm just uh, just trying to stay warm uh, in December. Really? I thought that you were in, in North Carolina. I figured it, it couldn't be that cold down there. Well, I've already got accustomed to South Carolina weather, so North Carolina's cold. <laughs> um, <laughs> apparently, the polar vortex is going to swing down from the Arctic Circle and make it especially cold. So, um, get ready. I think that starts on Tuesday. <laughs> oh, great. I'm excited for that. Um, talking about global climate, haha. <laughs> We're going to stay away from that one. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about China. Um, there has been some news about China um, in the financial markets recently. Um, and I just kind of want to start with, with the fact that China really wants investors in its markets. But investors are saying, hey, no thanks, China. It's nice of you to invite us to the party, but we're really not interested. We're going to go to Susie America's party instead. Um, not to be kind of weird about it, um, and there's there's a few different reasons for this, um, and one of the one of the main ones I think is that China has a very different culture when it comes to the idea of a free quote unquote market, right? So I don't know. Um, do let's start with with uh, the foreign exchange um, news which came out recently. Do you want to talk about that, Jordan? Yeah, so what's happened recently is that China has been limiting the amount of money that companies and individuals and basically everyone can take out of China. And this has gone on for a long time, but more recently there was a, there was a change to where companies could only withdraw something like $5 million a day from China in dollars versus $50 million a day previously. So as far as business goes, it's certainly a limitation. And uh, when you look back, I think like more broader, when you think about China and markets, and you think about, you know, especially as it relates to say the stock or bond markets, is that last year during a crash in the stock markets in China, they they put some pretty strict limitations on um, how you could invest or what, whether you could even buy or sell. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know if, if you guys remember this after all the financial craziness that's already happened this year, but um, China had a little bit of a roller coaster ride, and they locked down investors' abilities to sell bonds um, when the Chinese market was crashing. And so um, afterwards, they released a statement saying, "We don't understand why people don't want to invest in our bonds, but we're incentivizing them in X Y Z ways." But it seems like there's there's a little bit of a gap between them realizing like. Ah uh, yes, we have blocked people's ability to allow the market to function as it should, and this is why people don't want to come to our bond party. Right. So I think I think one of the things too is you, as individuals, it's kind of hard to understand maybe the needs of institutional investors. But one of the things they limited, first of all, they limited short selling under the threat of arrest. So you can't run <laughs> a sophisticated long short strategy, which you know turns off all the hedge fund managers of the world. And then you have a matter where if you own more than 5% of the company, you are restricted on your ability to sell. So your highest conviction ideas, you better have a whole lot of conviction in them because you're going to, you could potentially end up holding them for a long time. Basically, you could end up holding them in perpetuity or until, you know, China decides, yeah, okay, fine, we'll let you sell. Yeah. And I think that there's also this fear, which I think you have in most developing markets, which is that. China could just up and decide to nationalize whatever it is that you own, 
you know, it is a communist government in name. Um, so it, that that's always a possibility, you know, and it's, it's happened to investors before it's happened in Mexico. It's happened in Venezuela, um, to name two, just right off the top of my head. So it's not an unreasonable fear to have about China. Um, additionally, uh, yeah. Did you have something to say? Oh, no, go ahead. (laughs) So additionally, something um, that's interesting about China is that the culture is obviously very, very different. Um, And so it can be hard to kind of parse through the regulations and figure out which ones they're actually enforcing, which ones they care about. Um, We were talking earlier, we were talking about uh, loans and figuring out which ones the government would definitely pay and which ones the government wouldn't pay. And it's, it's something that's really hard to know unless you're in China or potentially from China and you understand all of this and you have like connections back home to like talk to you about this. Um, it, it's, it's definitely a little bit of a minefield for the foreign investor who doesn't have a lot of experience and has no way of knowing exactly what's going on internally. Right. I mean, it just, it, just when you're thinking about it, if you're thinking because, okay, well just take a step back. I mean, the kind of people that China wants to invest, they don't want, you know, small time mom and pop, Americans to you know open a fifty thousand dollar brokerage account and you know buy stocks. They want you know real tangible uh, lots of money. And an institutional investor, if you have you know say the London exchange, you have the Canadian exchanges, you have the American exchanges. Wh- what's the real reason that you would go to China in light of all these matters, right? I mean, there's plenty of global markets where trading is more free and the rules are more well established and people take them very seriously. So there's kind of a hot. Uh, a high bar, so to speak, to be willing to go to China, basically. Absolutely. And then on top of that, you have the fact that it's like both strictly regulated and not all at the same time. Uh, The example that comes to mind for me is in Shenzhen, which is a city that's situated right on the border with Hong Kong. Some people opened up the Goldman Sachs Shenzhen like real estate something or something or other. I'm not 100% sure what the whole name was. Um, And Goldman Sachs, and they, they even spelled their name like in Chinese, like like they spelled like Goldman Sachs spells their name, and so like you have this company that could be mistaken for Goldman Sachs. I mean, even in the same year, some guy opened up a branch, and called it uh, or not a branch. He opened up his own bank called the uh, China Construction Bank, and there is or there was already a China Construction Bank, and he just pretended to be part of the same bank, and he totally wasn't. He opened up a whole fake branch of a bank and that's just something that you don't see happening in other countries you know right and that's a, that's an interesting risk too because it, it extends beyond even the financial area um so and i actually looked at this the, the goldman sachs uh the goldman sachs fake or the fake goldman sachs in china it actually had a website that looked just like goldman sachs they used like a really very similar font and everything so to basically knock off the brand name and i mean that extends even to like apparel right so a Nike sweatshirt could easily be, you know, they could throw on a swoosh to a sweatshirt and, you know, basically steal that IP too. So that's something that as investors that you have to worry about because a lot of companies, not just financial companies, but a lot of companies survive on their brand name. And if that can be easily lifted and used for, you know, by someone else, there's not much value to it, right? Right. And so this story came out in August of 2015 and Goldman Sachs, they said they were looking into it, but I haven't heard anything on the news since then. So if you happen to work for Goldman Sachs and you know what ended up happening to Goldman Sachs Shenzhen, please let me know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So another thing that's been really big in the news lately is um, China has decided to use this 
method of funding um, loan or labeling loans that is really interesting and is not something that's available to American banks because of this, the reg- regulation that we have here. So they have this thing called an investment receivable, and an investment receivable is basically an, a loan. It's a debt that's owed to the company, but it has a lot more favorable accounting provisions than you'd get for a loan. And additionally, Chinese banks don't have to keep reserves in place for receivables. So, like if an re- investment receivable were to go belly up, the Chinese banks don't have to have any capital in reserve to like minimize the effects of that, which allows right. the banks to use more of their capital, but is also super risky. Right, and it's just a it's a problem of really bad disclosure. And when it comes to financial institutions, the financial institutions you want to invest in are the ones that have great disclosures. But so the Wall Street Journal's really ran with this story, I guess, and they talk about how it's the equivalent of two trillion dollars in loans that are now classified as these investment receivables, and they've grown about three times just since 2013 to 2015. So that's a two-year stretch. Yeah, two-year stretch, and you know, three times growth in that category just because they're basically hiding what many people believe, and in some cases they probably are, the bad loans and these investment receivable accounts. Yeah, which is definitely really interesting. And this kind of follows, um, I don't know if our listeners follow China's debt <laughs> problems, but China as a country has been becoming, has been getting an increasingly more and more debt. So the official level of debt right now is two and a half times the gross domestic product. Um, and all of this, like, kind of financial, pardon the, the vernacular here, loosey goosiness. Is is all tied together, <laughs> right? So I mean, okay. So if we take a step back and let's go back actually more than a decade, let's go back to 2005, right? China says to the world, "Okay, fine, our currency is undervalued. We will let it appreciate," right? Mm-hmm. And so investors around the world hear that and they think, "Wow, here's a chance to make tons of money if we know directionally China's currency is only going to go up in value." So if you're an American, the the move, if you can do it, is to basically take dollars and then go buy Chinese currency and hope for the exchange rate to change in your favor. And at the time, and this was a big deal, especially during the financial crisis and thereafter, you could borrow money in the United States at, say, 1% and take it to China and earn 5%. So not only were you earning the difference in exchange rates as they fluctuated, but also you know what they call positive carry or the interest rate differential by taking your money overseas. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so this this all kind of ties together in into what we were talking about earlier, which is that the Chinese government can kind of do whatever it wants when it comes to financial markets when it comes to their currency, which makes investors abroad trust it a lot less. Right. I mean, basically what it did and is it told the world, hey, bring all your money to China. So the world started bringing money to China and then you have all this money circulating around the economy. And when there's tons of money going around, that's when you get these big underwriting errors. That's when you get these loans to businesses that couldn't possibly repay them. Yeah. And you, you also get the overinvestment, right? You get Chinese, the Chinese government basically building houses that no one's going to live in, roads to industrial complexes that have no factories, you know, things of that sort. So this kind of hot money floating around in China has kind of incented a lot of bad investments. Yeah, and it's interesting because it, it does seem like China is starting to realize that 
this is this is not good for them. Um, Shang Fulin, sorry, Shang Fulin, uh, who is China's top banking regulator, said that the hidden credit risk that's associated with investment receivables and other types of investments like this, um, it could be really bad for China's financial security, which is crazy. Normally, top Chinese officials don't say, hey, we might have made an error in judgment, and this could be bad. Yeah, and it's, it's a particularly big deal, because when you think about banking in China, you just have to, you know, it's a totally different world, because many of the loans that are underwritten there are underwritten on the basis of, you know, political favors or you know, because a company has an implicit guarantee from the government. So, in a lot of cases, these aren't, these loans weren't made because you know someone thought that hey, this is a great credit risk. These loans were made because oh well, you know what, the government will probably bail this out later, right? Yeah. So, so it, it, it's just like I don't really even know how to describe. It. It's just a heaping problem that just you know just a tangled web of bad incentives, really. Yeah. So now that we've brought you down about China, <laughs> things <laughs> things could be a changing, uh, but it's not super certain. So don't get excited. I was joking with Jordan earlier that I am the best person for this show because I am so risk averse that I just fit in with all the financial stuff perfectly. <laughs> um, so there's a company. There's Pinebridge Investments uh, has said that China's big five banks. Could absorb the hit even if 15.5% of its loans are bad. Technically, the official number for how many loans are bad in China is 1.8%, but like we said, we don't really know what the number is. So, good news, they could sustain a loss of up to 15.5% of their, their, their loan value. Bad news, we have no idea what it actually is. <laughs> right. So, I mean, one of the things that you have to understand is what kills banks isn't necessarily solvency. I mean, banks have, there's been plenty of examples, even in the United States, where banks have been insolvent. It's pretty much well understood that Citigroup at one point in time or another has been insolvent, insolvent seven times or several times just over the last, you know, century. What kills banks, though, is a liquidity crisis. It's when people take out their deposits. So, as long as the government basically says, hey, Deposits are fine, and as long as you know the Chinese people think that there's no risk to these banks going under, they they can exist and basically earn out, you know, earn enough money over time from their good loans to basically paper over their losses. So, I mean, as long as there's no liquidity, as long as there's no you know just a run on the bank, so to speak, then these banks will exist. I mean, whether or not they're good investments, yeah, totally different matter. And the idea of a run on the banks in China is a little bit more difficult because China, the Chinese government, could just say, "Sorry, the banks are closed." I mean, you can do that in the United States too, but like they can also trap all the foreign investments and everything in here and just in China and just be like, "That's all ours now." You just don't worry about it. Well, exactly. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with, you know, basically China has, through a number of ways, made it much harder for capital to leave the country. Right. And so if it doesn't leave the country, I mean, no one's going to take it out and put it in their closet or under the mattress. They're going to, they're going to keep it in the banking system or securities or whatever. So, I mean, preventing that capital flight in some ways flows through to the banking system. Yeah. Um, another thing that is a positive development, although it might not seem so at first on the surface, is that the Ministry of Finance in China is allowing banks to write off more bad loans. Um, originally, it was really, really difficult to write off a bad loan. Like you had to go to the Ministry of Finance and ask permission for each loan that you wanted to write off. Um, but they've made it a lot easier, which is, um, I guess, bad in the sense that we're suddenly seeing them writing off a lot more loans. Like it's doubled in the last couple of years. 
Um, on the other hand, it means that banks are getting better at identifying bad loans quickly, and potentially it could help out credit risk because loans banks are going to be less likely to make bad loans in theory potentially. I think the thing, yeah, I, th- I think the thing here too is that investors want to invest, and investors don't necessarily demand great performance all the time, but they do demand honest reporting, right? So if a bank is coming out and saying that its books are perfect all the time, no one wants to invest in it because obviously everyone knows that banks write bad loans. Like it, it just happens, right? It's a part of the business model that some loans will go bad. So if anything, Investors are more fearful of the bank that reports no losses than the bank that <laughs> reports, you know, a, a reasonable level of losses over time. Absolutely. I mean, you can't be right 100% of the time. So I think that this brings us towards the conclusion of our show, which is you can invest in China if you want to, but probably for the average investor, it's a much better idea to look for stock ideas in your own backyard um, just because you know. What's going on here, right? You know what the laws are. You know what the the social contracts are. You know what it means when you buy stock in a company here, or if you buy a bond here, and you don't a hundred percent know what's going to happen in China unless you are some kind of expert. And if you are, more power to you. Um, and I'm not saying that it's impossible to understand China because that I, I fundamentally believe that that is a bad statement. I think that you can understand whatever culture. You want with enough time and um, study, but if you're just your average investor and you're not going to be spending a lot of time fact-checking on everything, you're probably better off just investing somewhere that you know. Right. I think that's a good that's a good disclaimer for anything. I think you need to understand any investment, but especially as it we're we're the we're the banking show primarily, right? So if you think about banks, the the performance of any given bank is inherently local. Um, especially in the United States, you have all these tiny banks littered across the country who underwrite loans in just a few cities and even rural areas. And I think investors can will find it much easier, not easy, but much easier to find an edge at home. Than they would overseas, just just for all the reasons that we mentioned today. Yeah, absolutely. So that brings us to the end of our show. Thanks very much for joining us, Jordan. Um, I would like to remind listeners that we are going to do the Bookless Show on um, December nineteenth, which will be the financial show. If you have any last books that you'd like to include on the list, email us at industryfocus@fool.com. I'm really excited for that show because I think it's one of our best shows every year. So. With that, I will sign off. As usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Contact us at industryfocus at fool.com or by tweeting us at mfindustryfocus. Thanks again to Austin Morgan, who's wearing a very dashing pink shirt. Today's totally awesome producer, and thank you to y'all for joining us. Everyone have a great week.